as we look at the book of Acts, uh, the question I've asked today is, have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? And that comes out of verse 13 today where it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. They were on trial. Last week we saw that they went to the temple at the hour of prayer and on their way there a young man... 40 years old, who had been lame from birth, was laying there begging alms. And they said to him, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And it says he reached down and he grabbed him by the hand, and the man leaped up and began to walk and leap and praise God. And as that miracle happened, people began to rush around. They knew who this man was. He had laid at the gate for over four, for 40 years, begging alms, asking people to take care of him. He was carried everywhere he had to go. Somebody had to carry him. And they looked and they said, man, the guy that's up here dancing the jig was the guy that was just sitting at the temple gates begging for alms. What is going on here? The Holy Spirit had given Peter and John the, the ability to speak the truth. And it wasn't Peter and John that healed the blind man or healed the lame man. It was Jesus. And they said that. They said, don't look at us. It was nothing in our power. It was Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that healed him. And we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is the aftermath of the healing. So read with me the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening." But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And on the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, 
as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which began became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. You ought to get excited about that. Peter, under the Holy Spirit, preaches a message that takes all of about a minute and a half to read to these men who are gathered before him. But I want, you, I want to take you back just a minute. You see, if we go back, they went up at the hour of prayer. That was 3 o'clock. And it says they were entering in when the lame man was healed. Now, that was quite a feat. I mean, this guy gets up, he goes from never having walked in his life to walking and leaping and praising God. It became a bit of a spectacle. And it would have been very easy for Peter and John to say, oh, everybody come and look at the lame man. But I want you to notice what, that, what chapter 4 tells us. It says that Peter and John continued to preach. They had an audience. Actually, it was probably a very large audience because it tells us that 5,000 people get saved. 5,000 people. They get, how many were watching? I don't think it was a 100% conversion rate. There were a lot of naysayers. These were, there was a lot of people who didn't believe in what they had to say. They didn't want to believe the miracles. Of those were the religious leaders. But John and Peter grabbed a hold of the chance to preach. And they began to preach the gospel. Because they tell us that same message that we heard that they spoke before the, before the Sanhedrin. They would have been speaking. It's the gospel. It's the good news. The good news that Jesus not only was crucified and buried, but he rose again. I can imagine that Peter and John said, Hey, we're eyewitnesses, but if you don't want to believe me, you go over and look at the tomb. It's empty. It's not too far from here. Go take a look. Go talk to the 500 who saw Jesus at one time after the resurrection. We'd be glad to share with you our eyewitness account of when we went to the, the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning. And it was empty. And then Jesus came and appeared to us in the upper room. We want to tell you about the resurrected Jesus. Now, there's a problem with that. Because you see, the Sadducees, 
did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were, the, were, were one of the ruling classes. They were not the biggest. Pharisees were, were a larger class of, of uh, rulers, but the Sadducees had control because they were of the priestly descent. And we have met some of these men before. Where did we meet Ananias and Caiaphas? We met them at the trials of Jesus. They were sent and had Jesus arrested in the middle of the night, betrayed by Judas. They arrested him in the middle of the night, which was against their Jewish law. They hauled him down. He went before Caiaphas. He went before Ananias. Then they had a sham of a, of a, of a trial before the Sanhedrin. These were the same men who took Jesus to Pilate and said, we want him crucified. Stoning is not good enough. That's our, that was their only recourse for blasphemy. We want him crucified. And they brought along with them two more. It says, it tells us that they brought Alexander and John. Now, this is not our John. These two it is believed were part of the family, the priestly family that Caiaphas and Ananias came from. They brought, them, they brought along the next generation to make sure that, that this, this poison was carried on. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Matter of fact, they went so far as to cover up the resurrection. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 to 15. We're going to get it there in a minute to give you the reference. There, there it is. Oh, we got a problem. The, I, don't, I can't hit cancel from here. <laughs> They'll figure it out. Okay. There's, there, I, I, you're going to have to turn to that passage. We're going to get it fixed. There, there, there it is. Okay, it's the projector. Oh, all right. Well, we'll get it reset. In the meantime, don't look at this big guy up here. Look at your Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 to 15. This is how much the Sadducees wanted to bury the resurrection. This is after the resurrection, and he's ta they're talking to the Roman soldiers. Verse 11, Now while they were on their way, some of the guard, the Roman guard, came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled, the chief priests had assembled with the elders and consulted together. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole Him away while, he, while we were sleeping. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win Him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money, and they did as had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews as to this day. 
How much did they not want the resurrection to get out there? It said they took a large, large sum of money. Where did they get that money? The temple coffers. They said, we don't want anybody to know. Now, if a Roman guard was found sleeping on the job and his prisoner escaped, what would happen to him? Off with your head. So these guys, these guys are risking it all with what they're saying. But he says, we'll keep you out of trouble. Go, just spread this, spread this lie. And just because <coughs> somebody spreads a lie doesn't make it right, does it? It happens today. There's a whole, there's a whole movement that said there is no God. There is no creator, right? Matter of fact, we're going to teach all our kids that there is no creator. Does that make it truth? No. All you have to do is look around you and you see that there is a creator. There's a whole group of people that will tell you, oh, when you die, your body goes in the ground, returns to Mother Earth. You don't have anything to worry about. But does that change the fact that we're eternal beings and that God says one day you're going to stand before me and I'm going to open the books. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to go to a place called hell. And if it is written in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to be eternally with me. It doesn't change it just because people want to tell you it's not true. And the problem that the Sadducees had was there was too much evidence that Jesus was resurrected. I mean, people saw him. There were eyewitnesses. The tomb was empty. Even in their day, there was no way. But... They didn't want people to believe. Their biggest opposition came from the religious leaders. The people were lined up around the block. They wanted to hear the Peter and John preach. It was the religious leaders. You ever notice? You ever notice how when things are going right that, that somebody's going to stand up and say, oh, that's not of God. I've I would have been watching the Asbury University revival, as they call it, and I pull, I was pulled it up on YouTube, and all of a sudden popped up this very well-known uh, fundamental preacher standing up there and saying, it's not of God, and he gave whatever his reasoning was. And I thought, brother, what's happening at your church that you can stand here. If you have the formula for revival and it's not what you're seeing in Asbury, why aren't you doing it at your church? You want to you naysay thousands of young people that are repenting, that are getting saved, that are having demons cast out, that are 
reconciling with mom and dad? Because you don't like the way revival came to Asbury? I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit didn't ask your opinion. He showed up. We need, to, we need as religious leaders to quit standing in the way of God. Because it didn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. And as these leaders brought them out, it says they put them in jail overnight. They had preached all the way into the evening. And so they said, you're going to spend the night in jail. I, don't, I, I imagine, I don't know what Peter and John did that night, but uh, I know if we look further down, uh, Peter kind of had this habit of, of uh, singing. We'll talk about that another time. But, but they're in jail. They bring them out. And they put them before. It says they put them in the center. And they, they said, under what name or by what power was this man healed? And then I love this statement. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this comes as a direct command from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples this. But when do they hand you over? Do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Peter wasn't worried about how to answer because the Holy Spirit was there and the Holy Spirit said, filled him because who is he? He's just another Jewish fisherman that is standing before the high priest. He's standing before all of the Sanhedrin who is he? He's nothing. But in the Holy Spirit, he begins to speak and he tells him straight on. He says in verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucify, and whom God raised from the dead, by his name this man stands before you in good health. It was Jesus who healed him. And then he goes on to quote Psalms 118.22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Who were the builders? The builders are the high priests. He said, you rejected Jesus, and he's become the chief corner. No longer are you what people are coming to. They're coming to Jesus. Look at all the thousands that have gotten saved out here, standing now and watching this spectacle of a sham of a trial. He says, they're, they're the evidence of what God is doing 
Well, I want to move us on to see what happens after Peter does his minute and 30 second sermon. Don't you wish. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. And when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact, the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them, to speak no longer in the name of uh, uh, to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis to punish them on the account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old, whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And we'll stop there. I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, Jesus gives you confidence. Jesus gives you confidence. Peter and John, they recognized what about Peter and John? They were uneducated. Isn't that what it says? They were uneducated and untrained men. They had not been at the temple. They had not been being taught under Gamaliel or one of the other Pharisees, or one of the other priests. They were, they were untrained and uneducated men. They probably didn't speak the king's English, as we would say. The ain't probably got snuck in there a couple times. Maybe a couple y'alls got put in there. But God gives us his confidence. It's not our confidence. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6 says, Such confidence as we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
We have confidence in Jesus. Now, a lot of times we wonder, well, if I say anything at work, I might lose my job. Okay. Whose job is it? Did God give you that job? Can God give you another job? Absolutely. We can, we can stand in, conf- in, in confidence and say, I'm, not gonna, I'm a Christian, and I have certain values, and I'm not going to do that. Right, Gary? Amen. Sometimes you ask Gary about his testimony. It cost him. Because he wouldn't do what, what they asked him to do because it was wrong. And he says, it's against what I believe. It's against what God has called me to do. But we can have confidence. I used to, on a regular basis, as a police officer, now we were, we were oh, don't share your faith. You work, for the, you work for the government. But there were many times I said, I said, would you mind if I prayed with you? In 31 years, not one person said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Amen? And I never had one complaint. Sometimes we just need to have the confidence not of ourselves, of Christ. He's the one that gave Peter and John. Because what does it say? It says, it, it call, they called them untrained and uneducated men. But they recognized them as having been with Jesus. If you were put on trial today, for all the world to see, because we, we know that they can live stream anything, right? Would the prosecutor stop and say, you know what? Can I have a sidebar? That guy's been with Jesus. What can we say against that? Well, we can't say it in public. That's what happened. They said, wait a second, you guys go over here, we've got a chat. They've been with Jesus. You know, God used those who are available. God will use anybody that says they're available. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, began pastoring at the age of 16 and pastored the largest church in London, England at its time. He was a great evangelist. He started at age 16. He never went to Bible school. God called him. D.L. Moody, that brought that same revival from from the United Kingdom over to the United States, dropped out in the fifth grade. And God said, I'm going to use you, young man. And God used D.L. Moody to create the great awakening here in the United States. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was raised in an orphanage. 
went on to find his only escape to be baseball. So he became a, he was good at baseball, so he became a, a major league baseball player, pro baseball player, and God called him to preach. Became one of the greatest preachers of his time. Never went to Bible school. Now don't get me wrong. I, I believe there's a place for that. I am so thankful for the education I got. And I will tell you, I believe that every young person should spend at least two years at a Bible college just to get the basics of the Bible. It is something that you will never forget. You will take it with you whether you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, school teacher, whether you want to be an electrician, a plumber, a ditch digger. You will take the Bible that you learn in college and take it with you wherever you go. And it will make you better. But God doesn't always do that. He doesn't allow us to do that. He took these fishermen, these two guys who knew how to fish, and he made them preachers. And they won thousands to Christ. Not because they were good, but because they were used by God. They had the power of God. And you have the same power. 2 Corinthians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is, it is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When Jesus died on the cross and you accepted him as your Savior, you got the same power that Jesus has. And he wants us to use it for him. People should be able to look at us and say, they have been with Jesus. Doesn't matter what your education level is. And the interesting thing is, is the Sadducees couldn't deny the truth. They tried all that they could, but they said, We can't say anything. The lame man is standing right before our eyes. What they are saying is true. And I guarantee you that if you, when you stand up and you become bold for Jesus Christ, whether it be in the workplace or in your home or wherever it is, that people may look at you in the face and say, oh, that's all hogwash. But when they go home at night, when they're talking with their friends, they're going, this guy's different. There's something about what they have to say that's different. And I need that. And typically it takes some hard knocks before they'll come knocking at your door and say, I need to talk. Where's Alan? Murray. Back row today, brother. Alan was sharing at the Tuesday class. He bought a new truck and he put a big fish sign on the side of that truck. 
Now, truck drivers are not known for their flowery personalities. <laughs> Except for Tracy. Except for Tracy. She's got even got flowers on today. Yeah. Her daughter's saying, nope. <laughs> anyway. And Alan will show you, share with you how time after time people would stop him and say, hey, we need to talk. I've got troubles. I, I, you have that thing on your truck. You better, if you, put a, if you put a license plate on your car that says John 3.16, you better be ready to share the gospel or change your license plate. You put a fish on your car, you better not be honking unless it says honk if you love Jesus. You better watch the way you drive. Because people are watching. People need an answer. They want an answer. And when they see it, when they see you go through things and you give your, yourself to Jesus Christ and you have the peace of God that passes all understanding, they're going to say, how can you go through this and have peace? And that's when you have the opportunity to take this book and say, let me show you. Because I have been with Jesus. I did not walk this road alone. One day Jesus came and I knelt before him and I said, Jesus, become my Savior and my Lord. And from that very moment he said, I'm going to walk with you. Doesn't matter what the road is. Doesn't matter how steep it is, how rugged it is. Doesn't matter what kind of rocks are in the road. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. You're going to get scuffed up but I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And that's what the world needs today. And they can find it when, they, when, they, when you share with them who that God is. Well, let's look at this aftermath. What happens? They've been threatened. And then they, then they get ready to leave. Verse 23, and when they had been released... They went to their own companions and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, this is all their companions, when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly... In this city there were gathered together against you your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Now Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, 
while you extend your hand to heal and the signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. That's a prayer. Man, what kind of prayer is that? A prayer that shakes the foundations of the church? That shook the place that they were in? That's a prayer. One of these days, you know, one of these days I, I hope to be in the middle of a prayer meeting when an earthquake comes. Amen. God gives some of the some great illustrations something. Wouldn't that be a good one? The earth was shaken. You see, when the going gets tough, the tough go to prayer. The tough start praying. Now, we should be praying all along, but they, they had an awesome prayer here, and I want you to look at this prayer, and I want you to see what they prayed. What's the first thing that they prayed? Oh, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in him, in them. What's the first prayer? Your creator God. You are the creator God. That's the place we start. The God that took, spoke and breathed on the, the, his, his hand and threw the stars into space. And he says, I want the earth to spin on a, on a what, what's the axis of the earth? 22 degrees, whatever it is. I want the earth to spin on its axis. And I want it to be exactly right so that you get sunshine and you get darkness. So you don't get too hot and you don't get too cold. All it takes is one degree for that earth to be off and we would either burn up or freeze. Don't worry about <laughs> climate change. We would all be dead. And then he says, I want that, want that earth to revolve around the sun. Not too close, or you burn up. Not too far away. And I want you to be able to set your watch. I want you to be able to set your watch by my timing. And he holds that world into place. Now, why is that important that we believe that? Because if God can hold the world into place, you think he can hold on to you? You think he can hold your world into place when the doctor says it's cancer? When the doctor, when the doctor comes in and says there's no hope? I got news for you. I have hope because I'm going to heaven. When your, when your employer says, I'm downsizing. When your landlord comes and says, oh, I'm converting this property to something else. Colossians 1, 16 to 18 says this. For by him all things were created, both in the heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, what? All things hold together. Are you worried about what's happening in the Ukraine? Yeah, it's pretty bad stuff. God's in control. Are you worried about what's happening here in the United States? Absolutely. Here in Oregon? But I want you to understand, God's in control. He holds it all together. And he will hold your life together. They prayed to the creator God. Second thing is they said, you're in good company. We're in good company because they hated Jesus. Did you notice what they quoted there? They quoted Psalms 2, 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The king of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You see, people don't hate you. They hate the God you represent. Matter of fact, Jesus said it when he was talking to his disciples just before he left, just before he was crucified. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because the world, because of this, the world hates you. They said, we're in good company, Lord. They crucified you. We don't know what's going to happen to us. But we're going to follow you because you hold all things together. Jesus paid it all. What's the second part of that? All to him I owe. Right? He Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I better finish the song yet, right? Right? I owe Jesus everything. Because he gave his everything for me. I'm going to finish with Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, I want you to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 to 21. This too is a prayer prayed by Paul over the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on the earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ 
which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask and think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is your prayer. This prayer is for you. I want you to go home and I want you to read it over and over again until you understand what God is telling you in this prayer. He will give you power. He will give you confidence. He will give you boldness if you'll only allow him to enter into you and work through you and give you that knowledge which passes the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. People don't understand it. They never will until they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's where the glory in the church comes from. It comes from having been with Jesus. It doesn't come from the preacher, I can tell you that for sure. It doesn't come from our wonderful worship band. It comes from us having been with Jesus.